here we are. We are here for another episode of the Wading Through the Waters podcast. My name is Josh, and I'm here with Brittany. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Good. It's good to have you, and uh, I'm excited to get into a conversation. I know we have a lot of these conversations over lunch, and mm-hmm. um, you know, just in passing, and um, you know, the whole office as well does that. And it's just interesting to hear those conversations and to get into different topics and learn new things. I mean, just again, someone who's outside of the mental health space, you know, with all your expertise and knowledge and wisdom, I love to hear it. So that's why we started this podcast. And so I'm excited to have a conversation with you. And um, yeah, this podcast is designed to help people wade through the waters of life and navigate a difficult mental health system. And so, um, yeah, I hope you are excited for what we're going to get into. We've got EMDR, we've got your your background and lots of different topics that we can talk about and wherever we go, it'll be fun, I'm sure. So um, first of all, I want to get a little background on you okay. and learn about who Brittany is, mm-hmm. how you got to where you are, and um, just talk about the, the path that you've taken to, to get here. So uh, first, let's, let's just dive into the little bit of the personal background. Where, where'd you grow up? What, what was your life like? Um, and then we can get into maybe some of the professional aspect of it. Okay. <laughs> Ready for this. <laughs> um, so grew up in Elizabeth City and tried to leave a couple of times. And both times my grandfather would call and start crying and I'd end up back here. <laughs> and so ended up just back here because of family. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I used to joke with my grandfather and tell him when he kicked the bucket, you know, I was going to be out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the joke was kind of on me because I ended up with shared custody of my sons and couldn't leave. So, oh, yeah. you know, that was his way of <laughs> his way of laughing back at, you know, my best laid plans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, my boys have grown up here and I grew up here and yeah. Um, that's about. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So, and then now you you did school online where did you go to school and then how did you get into mental health that's a long one yeah um i was a high school dropout okay that's something that a lot of people don't know about okay me. uh i dropped out the second or third week of junior year wow i would not have guessed that <laughs> at all <laughs> yeah i did not like school wow. i hated school my mom had to drag me to school kicking and screaming pretty much um but i was undiagnosed with adhd we didn't know that. I also, you know, had a trauma history. Yeah. You know, I had childhood trauma. And so um, I didn't want to go to school. Didn't mm. like school. Um, didn't have meds. They didn't even know what it was back then. You right. know, I was born in 80. So yeah. <laughs> here they had no idea. You know, I was in the gifted program. So it was always like, you know, um, you know, she's so smart. Why doesn't she do this? Or why can't you just? And, you know, I'd test really well. And they're like, well, she has to be paying attention to some degree. But yeah. I didn't do my work because I didn't want to do my work. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't do my work because I couldn't focus, focus on my work. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a pretty long journey because I did drop out early. And I went to COA and finished my adult high school diploma program. Okay. You know, we've got the adult high school and they've got the GED. And I went through and got my adult high school diploma. Well, I had no idea what I was going to do after that none so i decided to do it the backwards way Uh and start a family first okay (laughs) i was young and i was stupid and i wouldn't trade my kids for anything sure but you know i got married at 18 Uh i had seth right before well midway through 19 um so i was a young mom had no clue what i was doing like none uh and then while i was pregnant with seth um 
I took my first classes at COA for college. It's like, well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. No clue. And that's pretty common for those of us with ADHD. We just, you know, there's so many things, so many paths. And to try to pick one is pretty much impossible. Not, you know, notwithstanding the fact that we tend to be a good two, three to five years behind developmentally, emotionally. Okay. So really, you know, I was more like a 15, 16 year old making those decisions. Yeah. Um, I know that now. I wish I'd known that then. Uh, But... I ended up at COA. I took my first classes. Psychology was one of my first classes, and I fell in love with it. Um, I absolutely loved the class, but I ignored it because, you know, of course, not medicated. Didn't know I had ADHD. And I was like, oh, but there are all these other things. Never really enjoyed as much. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I kind of, like, went away from that and then came back to it later. Um, Once I finished my associate's degree, I actually did my associate's degree in theater education. I was, like painfully shy like uh i really pretty much took on taking like the acting and the um the public speaking classes to get over that fear of being in front of people Mm. and that insecurity that came along with it um but then i of course after taking that class i was like well i can do this whole program and then i ended up doing (laughs) Doing all kinds of Just stuff. Just kind of went down the rabbit right. hole. Right. I went down the rabbit hole completely because I took like everything, everything, technical, yeah. you know, directing, acting, you know, all of it, you know, uh, lighting, sound, set construction wow. and design. I ended up going down the rabbit hole completely, wow. which is great. I got an associate's from that. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to do with that? It's right? hard. I yeah. mean, it's a hard industry to get into. Yeah, you know, at and the I had top a kid. And... I was married. You know, there wasn't really, oh, yeah. what are you going to do with that? That yeah. was really more of a self-discovery, uh, you know, for me anyway. It was a fantastic journey of self-discovery and who I was, what I was capable of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was working, going to school full-time and taking care of my son. Um, because at that point, I mean, I was divorced by the time I was 21. Okay. You know, young. I knew him for three months before I got married. So yeah. what do you really expect out of that? It's hard. Um, again, not uncommon for ADHDers. Right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that are unmedicated and undiagnosed. Yeah. So, um, and I was by myself, you know, with my oldest. And, yeah, just kind of working, going to school and trying to figure things out. Then I uh, found a program, you know, because I went right back to psychology. Like after taking all that they had at COA for psychology and the sociology course, you know, I really did like that. And I was like, uh-huh. well, I mean, that's something I can do something with. Um, and I like it. Right. So I ended up, um, because there wasn't really anything at that time closer by, and I needed something where I could, you know, be flexible as a mom mm-hmm. and having to work. So I found a program, Liberty Online. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liberty University had an online program for multidisciplinary studies. So I could take my associate degree and put it into a bachelor's degree. So I'm not taking all the gen ed again. Mm-hmm. I can just take the psychology courses. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. So yeah. I had a dual, um, it's like having a, a double major. Okay. You know, I did the theater uh, education and uh, psychology. Okay. So that I had kind of a twofer. Um, and then after that, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And, you know, I had married a second time at, what, 24? Um, and then had my second child at 25. And now I'm a mom with two kids at home finishing up my bachelor's degree. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well... You know, what do I do, you know, from here? 
And I initially wanted to go through and get my master's, you know, uh, but I'm glad I didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, I needed to live my life a little bit. I don't think I would have been the same therapist as I am now uh, if I had gone straight through and gone straight into. Okay. You know, because at this point, you know, I was 28, I think, when I finished up everything and was getting ready to go on my master's program. And uh, went through a lot with my marriage. And so after, you know, eight, nine, what, almost 10 years in, yeah. you know, was headed for divorce at, you know, 32. Right. Um, so um, at that point, I, well, I did a lot of things in between that. I almost got an, I almost, I'm four classes shy of another master's degree oh, that wow. I'll never finish from Regent. Wow. Uh, in directing cinema and television. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, long. yeah. <laughs> no, no point. But again, you know, it was it's a it's a study in human behavior. It's you know, um, kind of it is related. Yeah. But um, when my ex husband and I separated, uh, I went. That was the first thing I did was enroll in school. It's like, mm. okay, it's time for me to do something for myself. Yeah. Because it had been largely a, about others in my life up right. until that point. Um, and not about me. I hadn't really had that time to really invest in myself, discovering who I was, what I wanted, and putting that energy into me. It was always into, you know, kids, husband, you know, and so forth, other people. So uh, that's the first thing I did. I enrolled not only in my master's program, but in nail tech school. Yeah. <laughs> so I could work, have flexibility with the kids. Okay. And finish up school and go into a different path. Yeah. Now. I thought I would be like way behind everybody else in my cohort. And and I did feel that way. It was like, man, I'm, you know, 32, 33 years old. What have I done with my life? Who am I? Where am I at? Which is so common for women, especially those of us who start early. Um, we all find ourselves at like, is this it? <laughs> is this all there is to life? I don't yeah. even, you know, who am I? I don't even know if I like this. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, then I was doing something that I wanted to do. And when I first did, which is so funny, because I the nail, being a nail tech prepared me so much more than what I thought it ever would. Okay. I was like, I'm just a nail tech. Never said that again after my practicum. My first practicum that I did uh, with Capella University, that's where I went for my master's. And they do uh, not only coursework, but practicum experiences. They're intensives. They're like, you know, what, seven to 10 days somewhere else, you know, daily, like all day long interacting and, and using the tools, practical application. Uh -huh. So... My first one, and I'm in there intimidated as I could be because there's all these people who worked in the field already. Yeah. I'm just a nail tech. Yeah. Quote, quote. <laughs> so um, I went in, and because I was so comfortable with seeing people hour after hour, you know, one after the next, every hour, mm -hmm. someone new, and building relationships with them and attuning to them, it was like second nature. Yeah, it came naturally. It just came naturally. So... While everybody else was like, you know, struggling, actually, you know, not everybody, but I'm watching all these other people struggle uh -huh. with it. And I was so much more comfortable than I ever thought I would be. Mm. That's kind of when I knew I was like, okay, I'm in the right. Yeah. You know, in your sweet spot of something right. you like and then something you feel like you're naturally good at. Yeah. Which kind of sucks because you have to go through all this. You have to pay for yeah. all this schooling before you ever get to really know. Well, it's like, even... well, I hope I like it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the schooling, but also just the, the, I'm sure there was a lot more to that, like you're talking about with your first marriage and your second marriage, mm -hmm. you know, being a single mom, you know, all of that as well, all that journey. 
the main thing that I'm taking away from this is you, you had a lot of self-discovery and a lot of self-awareness mm-hmm. to get to where you are now, Yeah, you know, and, and it was because of everything you went through yeah. that you were forced almost to, to, to kind of mm-hmm. say, you know, who, who am I and who, what do I like? You Growth know? doesn't happen in the comfortable places Yeah, ever. Growth requires pain. It requires getting uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, healing requires pain and getting uncomfortable. That's a part of the process. And, you know, I talk to my clients about that all the time. It's like, I'm never going to promise you it's going to be painless. Right. You know, I'm going to be very upfront. I'm never going to BS somebody and say, hey, this is going to be a painless experience. No, you have to go through it. You can't walk around it. Yeah. Now, how we do that is different based on the individual. But, you know, if you really, truly want to grow and change and heal, yeah. you have to get uncomfortable. There has to be some pain involved. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I wanted to talk real quick. We, we have some, I want to talk about EMDR in a bit. Okay. But on that on that topic of your journey and, and self-awareness, I really wanted to dive in real quick about your self-awareness with ADHD hmm. and how you got to such a place. I mean, you just in, <laughs> just in literally this morning, I, I feel like I've learned new things about people with ADHD and people who um, may not know that they have ADHD or anything. So, you know, was that later on at, in your journey, you know, yeah. and, and what was that like to kind of discover that about yourself? Well, both of my kids have it. My oldest just got, I, <laughs> I just kind of helped him. He needs to go get someone to formally diagnose right. him but um i'm getting uh two different uh autism spectrum and adhd i'm getting specialties in okay. you know, i'm specializing in those okay um and i started going through some of the because i present very differently from both of my boys um going through all that and i'm like um oh, i kind of think you got it too kid you just have it m- more like mine which you know high high functioning yes but presenting differently my youngest man Um, so my first, uh, encounter with ADHD was my youngest. Uh Now my youngest presented off the chain. Um, God bless him. He's like the sweetest thing and always was the sweetest thing. But I used to hold his head (laughs) like this. (laughs) <laughs> trying to say, okay, I need you to look at me. <laughs> and it's going to be like this, you know, back <laughs> yeah. and forth. Like, I just can't look at you. I can't just, look at you. Just can't sit still. Can't sit still. Yeah. You know, and so when he started school, now this is like, I couldn't go use the restroom without him getting out the back door. Oh, yeah. Like, it was that quick. I had to put a latch at the top so oh. he wouldn't go out and go look at the next door chickens. You know, um, he would... <laughs> He jumped off the back of the coffee table onto the back of uh, his brother's head and, like, I just knocked his two front teeth out. He climbed the curtains to get to something I had over top of the window. This kid was everywhere. Yeah. So by school, you know, I mean, I remember as a kid, like, feeling like I just couldn't sit still. Yeah. Like, like there was this energy flowing and I just had to get it out. just had to get it out. Yeah. I didn't know what that was. I just figured I had a lot of energy. Yeah. You know, I'd crawl underneath the pews at church, <laughs> you yeah. know, and get my rear end handed to me, <laughs> yeah. you know, because they didn't know what it was and didn't know how to deal with That's it. That's what I was going to say. The conversation was I think was my much... parents, you know, would feel pretty bad if, you know, really actually if they knew that why I couldn't do it. And, you know, it was, you know, it was really not developmentally appropriate to get, you know, get my hiney. Yeah. So, um, so then with Ben, you know, starting school he was underneath the desk you know 
on the floor mm. messing with stuff you know and he had this first grade teacher that was like very old school everybody sits in one spot all day long and it was painful for him mm-hmm. she wouldn't even allow uh, teacher's assistants in the room this is first grade Wow. She was something. So we ended up having him tested, you know, and found out he had ADHD. So then there's like this whole, there's a lot to that as a parent. Mm. And, and I, and I feel so much for parents going through it because you feel helpless in a way. There's so much to learn. Um, and there's so much to, to do to help them navigate a world that they were not meant to fit into. Neurodivergent versus neurotypical, or it's very different in how people think. Mm. So my my youngest, like I said, was presented a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, so and, it was just so obvious to you. Oh gosh. You know, and then yeah, and then how did you you started picking up on things about yourself or? Well, really, honestly, it wasn't until I started my master's program for for, for counseling because I was struggling so much uh-huh. to do the assignments. And I was like, what is going on? And then, you know, I went and, and talked to uh, my PCP and we're talking about like the um, the genetic, you know, predisposition for and how mm-hmm. it runs in families and how it presents so much differently in females. Mm-hmm. And so after doing an assessment with me, we're like, okay, yep, yeah, well, all these things, you know, like the daydreaming in school mm-hmm. and then not being able to complete and I'd be here, there and everywhere and, you know, the, the difficulties in hierarchy and time management, you know, I had to learn those things. I was forced to because yeah. of having to be a single parent. However, um, you know, they didn't come naturally. Yeah. And so I just, I just went through life doing the best I could with what I had. There was no, I just did what I could. Mm. Uh, and so it wasn't until I was like, okay, so this is what I'm looking at. And then I had to go deep diving on how it presents differently in females. And what am I looking at with myself? Mm. How is this different from my son? So it was really, you know, my son having it, I mean, gave me an introduction to it, right. obviously. Right. And having him at 25, I didn't get formally diagnosed until 33 okay so that's a time span you know to watch him and watch him through school and what he struggled with yeah. and oh, homework time homework time was the worst oh yeah it was just done your executive functioning is done i'm gonna tell you now like for me going home and doing clinical notes is painful oh yeah i get them done because i don't want them weighing on me the next day and i know i'm just gonna have to sit i'm gonna have to do my breathing exercises, get into that headspace yep. and get it done. There are days I don't, but they're few and far between where I'm just like, yep, nope, not going to work. Go to the next. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it is a journey. You know, yeah. I think some of us self-diagnose. Some of us are like, You've, you got something going on here, yeah. you know. Um, but it's harder for those of us on the higher functioning end of either spectrum, ADHD or ASD, because it's like, well, you get these things done, so, you know, what's really wrong with you? Right. You know, you can do it. Right. But they don't take into account how difficult it is to do it. Right. You know, what are the processes to that? So, yeah. So all three of us in the house are high-functioning. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been, you know, it's funny because now I know why my oldest and I would butt heads so much. Yeah. Because our functioning is very similar. Yeah. And so when I'm trying to get this point across, he's trying to get this point across, we're not we're not understanding how each other is not getting to the same conclusion. Right. So it can, you know, be difficult. Plus there's, you know, 
difficulty in emotional regulation. And he's just in his early 20s. It hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. Really, our brains aren't done developing until about 28 years old, 26, yeah. 27, 28, until that frontal lobe, which is the place that helps with executive functioning, gets done developing. It's literally a physical right. development, not just a, you know, I have to experience this. I mean, experiences help, you know, and you right. can you can go through different <laughs> things, but literally, physically, you're not there. Yeah, yet. really, physically, you've got the reptile brain, which is all instinct, right. and then you've got the mammalian brain, which right. is all emotion. Those are two of the things that are in control yeah. until that executive functioning, that prefrontal cortex is done yeah. developing. Yeah. Now, before we move on, I just want to ask, what are, maybe some of your takeaways from that journey, and maybe some, you don't have to give advice, but just things that you've felt... Um, have been helpful for you um, in terms of ADHD, dealing with it in your household, mm-hmm. um, trying to just process, even even processing that acceptance of that. Um, is there anything that you would say mm. would be most helpful for somebody who maybe suspects that their child has ADHD, maybe they suspect they have ADHD, they're not sure? What, do you, what would you maybe say to somebody in, in that realm? Um, um, expect a lot of mixed emotions. Yeah. You know, there's a grief process that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. There's a grief process that goes along with having a child on, you know, either either or ADHD or ASD, because I think you have these expectations of what their childhood and adulthood is going to look like. And it's not going to be that, Mm -hmm. you know, it is going to be more difficult. And so you you grieve that you feel responsible, which you're not. Mm -hmm. You know, these are biological changes, differences. our brains literally are structured differently. Mm. It's it's a neurobiological difference. Yeah. Um, so there is no blame game here. There's nothing you ate, didn't eat, didn't do, you know, none of that. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's something that's normal to know that you're human. That mm-hmm. is a normal experience to have that, well, do I medicate? Do I not? Do I? That is a hard choice to make, yep. you know, Um and it's okay that you struggle with it. Yeah. Uh, same thing with finding out as an adult that you have it. Mm-hmm. You're going to go through the grief process. You know, I went through a point, and I still do sometimes. It pops up every now and then. Not like it did. You know, it's just an irritation now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's an anger that comes along with what you've missed. Oh, yeah. That if I had been diagnosed earlier, how much of my potential was wasted? Wow. How much... How much could I have done differently had I been um, been diagnosed and pro- medicated? Because yeah. we know that you know medication, you know, like it or not, is the most effective. A long term, you know, long lasting stimulant, an extended release stimulant, is the most effective treatment for ADHD, mm-hmm. hands down. Your quality of life, you know, I thought about going off of it um, after I was done with my my masters, and my quality of life is so much better on it that I won't, I mean, you know, minimal side effects considering what I gain out of it. I'll take it. Yeah. You know, you have to go through the grief of, you know, our lives are typically about seven years shorter having ADHD, you know, that we know that. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot that goes to that, and it's it's normal and human to feel those things yeah. and to feel some type of way about it and to be a little ticked that you have to go through a world that wasn't meant for you, yeah. you know, seeing things differently and not always fitting in the box yeah. and always feeling different. Yeah. You know, that, I, was, I always felt that way, and that's, that's what we 
that's a normal experience. Yeah, you know, and feeling that we just don't fit in. In in that realm too, knowing that you're not alone and that it is it Correct. is much more common than you may think. Yeah. You know, and and like you talked about, it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are on that spectrum that maybe don't know it. Right. Maybe are you know show show signs on you know on the left hand side where it's not as as pronounced, but still it can affect their lives in a way they don't even know, you know? And so knowing that you're not alone and knowing that there is treatment, there is uh, things that you can understand more about yourself to help in in that aspect. And so um, I think that's really helpful for people. I think people um, genuinely struggle with those things and don't know it and and kind of calling it out in a way and saying, look, these are, these are, really important things to understand you you find that um it can help give people freedom and and help people grow and change and and well help put a label to it so that you don't feel like you know there's something wrong with you right because you can't do it the same way that everybody else can there's nothing wrong with you you just function differently you know there's a book by temple grand and different not less on about the spectrum but Mm. that that's the same for for anyone that's neurodivergent you're just different it's not less or more or it's just completely different it's like comparing apples to oranges Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean you can't manage symptoms you know i go by like the 80 20 rule look if you can manage your symptoms to where 80 percent of the time you're good to go and 20 percent of the time you still struggle with them that's to be human that's every person yep so 80 20 is about as as good as it's going to get yeah for any human being on this planet, neurotypical, neurodivergent or not, mm. we fail. Yeah. We don't get it right 100% of the time. And when we can put a name to it, we're like, okay, we're not a failure. We just function differently. Yeah. Because a lot of us go through life thinking that there's something wrong with us and why can't we just do it like everybody else? We're a failure. You internalize those things. Yeah. I'm just lazy. You know, I'm just dumb. I'm just this. No, yeah. that's not that's not true. And when we can, when we can understand that about ourselves, and maybe do some work to kind of neutralize some of the some of the some of the messages that we internalized about ourselves, yeah. you know, speaking of things like EMDR are really helpful for that. Then you can live your life yeah. to the fullest that it can be, and that's all any human can ask for. Yeah. So EMDR, what this is a, a specialty of yours, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, and so. Um, what did you do to get to, did you get certification? What, what was your, um, what, what's your training in it? Or are you just, you know, is it just something that you've studied a lot? You don't have a specific certification. What does that look like for you? Okay. So a lot goes into that because I'm not just EMDR, but I'm complex trauma certified. So I'm a complex trauma certified professional, um, which means I work with complex trauma uh-huh. you know how the parts work you know i do emdr i do some brain spotting i do flash technique mm-hmm. um so with the emdr um you, know, you have part one and part two training you have the basics and then you have the more advanced and then you can go on beyond that and get other like specializations in it and when you start you know there's a certain script that you follow you know you get your basic emdr protocol mm-hmm. and it's the same across the board uh I don't tend to do anything the normal way. <laughs> we'll, we'll just put it that way. So when I get started, I'm like, then I notice this. And I'm like, but, you know, 
that's, it didn't go far enough for me, uh-huh. you know, I, especially dealing with more complex. Uh, and I think people think of trauma as, you know, these big traumas, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like assault and car accidents mm-hmm. and near-death experiences and, you know, uh, major hospitalizations, things like that, that they think of as like major traumas, mm-hmm. right? The big T's. But that's not quite how our brain works. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the big T's, yeah, those are traumas, but a trauma can be anything that leaves a lasting like imprint on your mind, emotional and physical sensation. So you go back to attachment traumas, you know, something like, um, your, your mom had a difficult labor and delivery. You were separated at birth for a little while, or you were premature or whatever, you know, mom had a C-section. You don't really get as much connect time right at first when someone has a Mm C-section, that attachment rupture can have lasting physical and emotional implications. Yeah. Okay. So that you don't really think of as like a trauma. It's just natural childbirth, whatever, you know, it's a really long labor and delivery. Yeah. Your body goes through a lot. Your body remembers everything you ever go through. And it does that to keep you safe. You know, your first and, and you know, your, your drive is to stay alive. Right. Right. So that means that your mind wants to remember all the things that didn't feel good. So you don't do it again. Wow. So all of those are imprinted most, you know, at the, the brainstem spinal cord where those two, you know, kind of connect. That's where our most primitive instincts are, our drives are. So you've got attachment traumas, you know, maybe mom or dad was mentally ill and couldn't give you what you needed. You know, that's not a blame, but that does have an impact on, you know, how, how we move in the world, you know, how safe do we feel? Um, Some little butthead on the playground fifth grade says something nasty to you Mm -hmm. and you remember it for the rest of your life. You internalize it. Mm -hmm. That's a trauma. We don't think about those things as traumas, but they are, Mm. you know, and we're coming to know just how much, um, like childhood hospitalizations, even routine things, you know, have an impact on how, you know, we move through the world and how our bodies perceive danger versus safety. So, you know, you're, you're in a sterile environment at three years old, getting tonsils removed, you know, you're being strapped to a table, you know, because you can't stop crying. Nobody's comforting you. You're being separated from your family. You know, all those things, a three-year-old can't make sense of that. Yeah. That is a trauma. I want to just butt in real quick because I, I have my own personal story and I don't often have these is uh, I got tested for allergies when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I the only thing I remember about that is we went into the office and I laid down on my stomach and they put the... Um, oh, I can feel that. Yeah, the like things. <laughs> and it, uh, it shows which spots are you're allergic to. Right. I don't, I don't remember anything but that it hurt and that it was traumatic to me. It right. was like... Oh my gosh, yes. there's like 20 like needles. And... When you think about it, do you feel something in your body? Yeah, it's just like, oh gosh. Then it's, like, that's a trauma. Yeah. Then it's stuck. And that's when you would use something like EMDR. You know, wow. you, you can stay within your window of tolerance pretty well. You're not going to go too high, you know, or too low, you know, out of your window of tolerance. Yeah. So yeah. I would use a straight EMDR and then, you know, it's out of your body. Yeah. Now, le- okay, so let's back up just a little bit. Let's talk, let's define EMDR. Okay. And... Just talk about in general, like for the average person who has no idea, what is EMDR? Um, we talked a little bit about why you use it, but what is it? 
Um, and then, I, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, what does it practically look like? So, okay. Um, so eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay. So using bilateral movements, which is your eyes moving back and forth, you can use tapping as well. You can use auditory. Okay. Um, so as long as it's going back and forth, because then you're accessing left brain, right brain, left brain, right brain. So it's like pulling the parts of your brain together to focus on this one thing, right? So we're all here in the same room focusing on this one thing. We're not just leaving a part out because we want that to be integrated as well. So uh, with EMDR, you know, as long as there are no issues with eye movement, um, no issues with like small window of tolerance, you know, no heavy dissociation mm -hmm. uh, present in the person because that would require other kinds of work. Mm -hmm. um, as long as it's straightforward, um, you know, you would move your eyes back and forth to, I've got like a little red ball on the end of a stick because I'm not going to wear my shoulder out. Uh -huh. <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. I'm a little older. My shoulder <laughs> will hurt. And you follow that. So as you're following that, your brain is actually processing the physical and emotional sensation. So what I would have you do is, okay, I want you to um, bring up that memory, you know, and, and what is the image that represents the worst part of that memory? Uh -huh. So let's say, let's take the, the allergies for you. Okay. Yeah. So getting that, you know, what was the worst part? Was it getting the needles put into your skin or was it the, the sensation that itchies afterwards and mm. you know, I know, you know, I know what that discomfort is, yeah. you know, on your back when, right. when you, the, things pop up yeah. <laughs> you know so when you run it like a movie what's the worst part of it for you yeah it has to be just the shock of probably like the needles going the amount of needles uh -huh. that was going in mm -hmm. you know and just the sheer like needles are a scary thing for most people i yes. feel like and so it, then it's like Oh, there's like 20 and it wasn't like all of them stand, but it's just, it was, I just remember thinking like this, this big board of needles is going into yeah. my back. Just the thought of that, I think. Um, okay. So let's put that as the image. The needles going into your back is yeah. the image. Yeah. I'm sure you feel body sensation. Yeah. So where do you feel it in your body? I mean, it's, it's my back and I feel like, you know, like I feel breathing, you know, like, where mm -hmm. I'm like, breathing yeah, my changes. breathing is, um, faster and i'm like mm -hmm. you know that's i mean that's literally what emotions do you feel like anxious okay um what do you believe about yourself i am i am not what i am probably um let me give you some examples yeah okay so there's gonna be in five different realms You've got two that are responsibility, like I should have done something or there's something wrong with me. So uh -huh. responsibility and action. Then there's control, like I don't have control. Mm. And then there's safety and vulnerability. Mm. And that's like I am or I'm not safe or mm. I am, I'm vulnerable, I'm helpless. And then there's um, belonging, I don't belong, you know, your mm. attachment drive. So it's, is it going to be? It's definitely the safe, the okay, safety, so I'm not feeling, safe. feeling not safe, um, okay. I'm not um yeah, I don't think I've felt that um, in that moment. Right. And at that point, you're activated. Mm. So we're getting to the negative thought about self that got coupled with that experience. That mm. That's what we carry with us. Wow. Right? You've got the body sensation. You've got the image that represents it. And you've got the emotion that goes with it. Yeah. So those are what you need to process with EMDR. Once you have those, then I get you to focus on that image 
and on the body sensation yeah. and on the negative thought, you know, of self, I'm wow. not safe. So I want you to keep that in mind while your eyes are moving back and forth. Okay. So the, so talk to me about the physical part, because you said, you said that there's, you know, we're not just talking, you right. know, I mean, and that, that's, that was already helpful, you know, just even calling out what, what I was feeling and everything that was already helpful to mm-hmm. me um, on something that happened when I was probably six or seven i think Mm -hmm. and zero to ten like how bad does it feel thinking about it now not as bad because i I feel a little bit more power over it you know so what do you think it would have been starting out before you know if you were to think back on it zero to ten how zero to ten i'd probably say like an eight okay you know that's a pretty high one yeah i think I, i think when i think back on it i've always thought that was really scary like mm-hmm. that was, i really didn't know um what was happening yeah really. exactly mm-hmm. um fear and, and immobilization you were immobilized and in fear that's how trauma gets stored that's how trauma happens yeah. is when you're immobilized and in fear yeah because we're immobilized for a hug we're immobilized for a lot of things mm. you know we're immobilized for a kiss we're immobilized Gosh. for other things so yeah <laughs> but we're not in fear so it's not traumatizing gosh i think about you know, I'm just lots of stuff in my mind, but I'm thinking about the parent who tells tells their kid to go give him a hug, go give go give your uncle a hug or something or whatever your aunt a hug, and they don't want to. Right. I mean, that can be traumatic. Yes. That is. That's taking away agency. Yeah. That's no control. I'm not safe. I'm not protected. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, I think there's so much there and i think that that's ultimately what treatments like emdmr it's a treatment it's a treatment for the body it's yeah. it's, it's not i don't do and <laughs> talk to my clients about this all the time i was like well i'm gonna tell you i don't you know what you think about therapy is probably not what you're gonna get in here ah. <laughs> um because our experiences are stored in the body if we don't get to how our body has stored those things if we don't get to the body's processing of it it's still there it's still it's there. So you have to process with the body in order to heal mm-hmm. those places. Yeah. That is so true. Um, that was, yeah, that was really eye-opening for me. And literally, we just sat here for a couple of minutes. So I can only imagine, you know, for somebody who's gone through something even more traumatic, you know, or, mm-hmm. and, and, and not to discredit the small trauma that people can have, but I just know that there are people who have gone through much deeper things, I mm-hmm. feel. Yeah, but most people don't understand how much those little traumas, mm. they don't think of it. It's like, well, I mean, I had a great childhood. It's like, and you may see it that way, yeah. but there might also be without having to point fingers at mom or dad. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, we have what we have in, in terms of tools and mm-hmm. we give what tools we have. Right. You know, just because we didn't get something doesn't mean that we didn't deserve something you know it could just simply be that our parents didn't have the something they to give they just didn't know yeah and it wasn't intention but that stuff gets stored too and so it may be more than what people think yeah that affects how we think behave interact with other people now yeah it always goes back to somewhere because people i you know it's so funny because they tell me what's going on now and like well it's probably not what's going to come up because it's probably it's going to have a seed somewhere else if it's active now if it's triggering now yeah it came from somewhere else probably much younger yeah so that's yeah and and real quick on that too this is something that i learned in just in therapy with with the things that i've gone through in my past 
uh, one thing I've learned is that sometimes when you do the best with what you have, it's not it's not always good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's again not to point fingers. It's not to say it just is you know, what it it's, is. It, 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 yeah, it's just reality. Right. It's to say like you 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 may not have everything that you needed from your experiences and it, doing the best with what you have isn't always good enough and and that's that was really eye-opening for me um and i know that um it's only once you process things and it's only when you hear from somebody who can can come from the outside and say like have you thought about this have you thought of have you have you have you physically process your your emotions mm-hmm. uh, that you actually discover that and and you become self-aware and you become the grow and I, I think that is um, it's it's really underestimated the work that goes into therapy right. and self-awareness is really underestimated to changing your life I think it's right. it's so much so much you know there's obviously stigma around mental health and and you know, in different parts of the world and everything, but, and I think we've made a lot of progress in that, but I think it's just underestimated to, to, to do the work that's required to really move forward from some of the things in your life. And And that's what I tell clients is like, I can't promise you easy. Right. It's going to be hard, but I can promise you it's worth it. Yeah. It it really is just from the small amount of time that I've had with, with my therapist and, um, I'm sure you see it every day. You know, yeah. you see. And I've it been every through day. my own therapy. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't practice anything that I haven't done for myself. Yeah. You know, that's one of my ground rules. I think because I have a trauma history. Okay. Um, you know, and for <sighs> first time I did EMDR uh, was with another clinician. God bless her, and I. I I knew I had a pretty, I had a lot in there, right? I knew I had a lot of things that could be processed because you have a practicum part when you're doing the training. You know, just the basic ones. I try to pick Mm -hmm. like the easiest one I thought there would be like, oh, well, this is not going to like traumatize her. (laughs) You're working on this. So the first time I did it, and this is literally, I think we did like 20, 25 minute stints. So, Uh I mean, this is not a long session. Okay. Okay. And we're practicing on each other. And I picked this seemingly, you know, easy thing you know innocuous thing and i got done processing it i get up and went to the bathroom like something feels different Mm. i just my body felt different Mm. i just felt different and you know we finished processing and you know what we call future template and all this other stuff finished out the end of it and and i got up and i was like something just is not right Mm. Since that first time processing EMDR, my childhood asthma has been gone. Wow. And something I thought was seemingly simple, I guess I had been holding on since that moment. I had been holding tension in my chest and back so tightly that it was restricting my breathing, which is why inhalers didn't work. Allergy meds didn't work. Nothing worked to allow me a full breath. Wow. Until I processed with EMDR. Yeah. So, you know... I think that's the best way for me to describe how much it can change mm. things. And I guess I don't just use the eye movement. I don't just use movement. Um, and there's more than one way to, to get at the, the body's storing of, you know, our negative experiences or our difficult experiences. You know, use flash technique, another thing that I'm, I'm trained in. 
um, where it's kind of like, okay, I want you to bring it up and slightly activate it, but then I want you to put it over here. And then we're going to go somewhere else. Okay. We're going to go to something more positive. And every now and then we're going to check in with this and we're okay. going to kind of just, just tap into it, barely touch into it and see what's yeah. changed. It'll go down from there, you know, doing it almost like subliminally. Wow. Um, so those are for people who get activated too easily, or if it's something that's a major trauma that there's a major fear about going there, we'll do that first to see if we can knock it down a little bit. So it's tolerable going through a different way of doing it. Yeah. And then, you know, EMDR doesn't always, now somebody's going to get me for this, but it's true. I've seen it in my practice. EMDR doesn't always get to all of it. Okay. Okay, so that gets to what's sort of in the mammalian brain and some of what's in the reptilian, but it doesn't quite get to everything in the brainstem mm. and where the brainstem meets the spinal cord, which is where we really think that our, you know, the imprint is at. The, the right? deep memories. Of the, right. Yeah. The body, the deep body memories. Mm. And so then I'll use, I'll use brain spotting, which is a fixed eye movement oh. in a place where you're mind has stored it in your visual field and we focus on that spot for a little while and you know you'll feel it activate you'll feel it come back down and it's highly intuitive your brain knows where it needs to go and that's what i tell people when i'm doing it's like your brain knows where it needs to go all we're doing is opening up the door and letting it walk through Mm -hmm. and keeping the door open that's that's it you know there may be parts that come up that are dissociative parts that come up to try to protect you from feeling those things Mm -hmm. you work with those parts and then you roll on yeah you know, it's not a straightforward, everybody is different with what they need, which is why I'm, I'm always getting new tools because <laughs> yeah. then I come up on something. Well, I need something more. Mm-hmm. I need something more. So, you know, there's, there's always more than one way to get at it, but it, it you know, somatic experiencing is another one. Um, allowing your body to complete, you know, when it got stuck and immobilized, mm. allow it to complete some semblance of fight or flight so that right. it, it diffuse it, um, what's the word I'm looking for it I don't want to it's not diffuses I mean it does but it, it gets out of the body like it completes yeah. so that you're not going back there over and over again closure almost right so body work physical closure correct that you never had well and and to let your body know you're not there you're here yeah that's the other thing that is so that that's one of the reasons why it works is there's this dual awareness of past and present you're not mm-hmm. hypnotized <laughs> you're in control the entire time sure. you know you want to stop throw up your hand and say okay I, I stop yeah yeah we're good and you can stop at any point you know it's going to bell curve up you're going to feel it it's going to increase and then it's going to come back down what goes up comes back down but if it gets to an intolerable place just stop. Yeah. But it's like having awareness of the past and present at the same time. So you're bringing those parts of yourself that got stuck into the present to see you're not there anymore. Yeah. It's over. Wow. And your body recognizes that it's over and can then calm. Yeah. Because when you think about it, you feel like you're there. You get those sensations of mm-hmm. that's what your body's doing. It's, it's trying to, you know, I think about probably times with people with had adrenaline running, you know, and they Mm -hmm. were trying to, their body was just trying to get them out of the situation. And all of that comes back up whenever you think about it, whenever, and, and, and also not even just when you directly think about it, but when you're in experiences that relate to maybe the trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and your body is just reacting and trying to help you. And you, you just have to train and say, I'm okay, you know, yeah. I, and and it's it's not happening again, you know, and um, your body's doing what it's supposed to it's do. It's designed it's trying to, to help you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. but that help then becomes 
problematic when you're not in that situation yeah. anymore and you're moving forward and it's like, okay, you can stop now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing I think I want to ask is, is, is a two part question. So I want to just ask about, I want to speak to the skeptic of EMDR and I first want to just ask about the credibility. Mm-hmm. So, so 30 plus years of research. Okay. So let, let's talk about that. And then I, I just want to talk about just the personal aspect of what you've seen with EMDR. Mm. So let's talk about the credibility. You said 30 plus years of research into into this type of therapy, mm, this type of treatment. Began. So this is not something that's magic. You know, I, I, no. I, the average person is, is, is probably, ha, can probably have lots of questions about it. So mm-hmm. I just want to speak to them and say, and what would you say to somebody who's skeptical of EMDR? I was too. Yeah. You know, like I said, until I sat for that first, I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, I felt it myself. Yeah. You know, I can't deny what I've experienced for myself and what I've seen other people experience. And there's a lot of research to back it up. There's years, there's 30 years plus, you know, since Francine Shapiro discovered it and started using it and then fine tuning it. And now we use it all over the world to help, you know, even in acute trauma situations, Mm -hmm. you know, EMDR, you know, international uh, and EMDR HAP, Mm -hmm. the humanitarian, um, you know, part of it, they go all over the world and, and help people that are in the middle of, uh, natural disasters and things like that. So right. we we know what it does. Right. And no, it's not magic. Like I said, sometimes I have to go back in with some brain spotting to get a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not uncommon. Um, but when you're sitting in a place where the pain becomes not manageable anymore, yeah. you know, and you're willing to try pretty much anything, you know, I think your skepticism kind of goes when when you're when you're ready for it, you know, the skepticism is like, okay, whatever, but I'll try anything, you know, and I get that. But for the skeptic, you can go online and find out for yourself. Mm-hmm. There are too many. Do some you know, I do. I work with combat veterans. I work with sexual um, abuse victims, mm-hmm. you know, childhood, adulthood. Um, yeah, I've worked with all kinds of things, fibromyalgia, uh, all things, yeah. you know, that I can even under the sun, but just to find, just if for nothing else, to understand yourself better, to forgive yourself for being human, to heal in that way, Mm. it's worth it. To get the awareness, just the the insight that comes from, oh my gosh, that's where that came from. Yeah. Not knowing that something so far back could have such a profound impact on our bodies and our lives. Yeah. You know, there's, it's amazing to be free of that. And I'm never going to say, Oh, you'll never have triggers again. That's crap. Yeah. You do, but they're blips. Yeah. They don't take over and drive the bus anymore. Right. You know, it's like, Oh, I noticed that. That's what that was. Okay. Go on with your life. They don't, they don't stay. And they no longer have the control over your body and emotional responses. Yeah. And I think it, that's, that's really, you know, powerful is taking back the control yes. over your, your life, your mm-hmm. body, your physical body, your emotional and mental health. That is the power of, of doing the research and saying, look, maybe this is an avenue I need to, I need to go down. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is 
um, going to be helpful for the things I've gone through. And um, it, it, it also speaks to the just the being human, you know, and, you know, we all have these things that that we've experienced, whether it's on a small scale or a big scale. Nobody escapes that. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. You know, it, it's kind of something we all can share in that this work is universal. You yes. know, it, it, it really does um, have have much more to do with being a human than mm-hmm. what you've experienced. It's more about, I also think about it too, like like people go to the gym and they do all this other stuff or they go to the <laughs> doctor or whatever. And it's just like, that's considered in our culture, like Acceptable. good work. Yeah, yeah, good work to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're working on your body 2023 like I am. Yeah. I'm going to, but it, what if you did the emotional and, and physical work uh, it that's impacts deeper. everything. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And and see what that can change for your life, you know? Right. So let's talk recommendations of things that uh, could help people maybe with ADHD, EMDR, or just in general. Um, give me just a couple of maybe your favorites uh, in your journey that have helped you or you would recommend to other people, um, whether it's a podcast, a book, um, a, a YouTube channel. It could be anything. Um, you know, even just a whole, it could be a whole company or a resource for people. And that's hard because there's so many, you know, like I was telling you earlier, I read probably five to 10 books a month. Um, and you know, when it comes to trauma, you know, depending on, it depends on how people are with reading. Not everybody wants to read, likes to read, you know, that's something that not everybody is going to do. Okay. Um, so there's that. Uh You know, and so I'll say, I just want you to kind of Google this and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of get a little bit more information about mm-hmm. it. I have, when I start EMDR, I have three videos that I send with someone okay. because I'm not always linear in the way that I explain things and they're better at it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, look, I'm going to let you watch these and then I will answer any questions you have. Yeah. <laughs> okay? And Michelle sent me those and those are helpful. So <laughs> gotcha. w- w- why don't you send, we'll, we'll put those in the description. Okay. I want to make sure that people can find those. Um, cause they're just, they're good explainers. There's just three. Yeah. I had four in there to begin with. And this is kind of, you know, something that I got in my second, I think my, my advanced training is when I got those, or maybe it was from my case consultation. I don't remember, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, three out of four of those, the fourth one was not really worth uh-huh. putting in there. So I'm, yeah. Okay. So those videos will, will be helpful as far as the MDR. Is there mm-hmm. anything, um, maybe in the ADHD realm, um, that you would recommend, um, you know, a book, a podcast. Um, um, for ADHD, you know, uh, recently, uh, the ADHD effect on marriage is a really good one. Okay. Because I, I, you know, I think that that it, it does play a part in our relationships. You know, we talked about the dynamics, um, of, of living with multiple people that have ADHD in the household, Mm -hmm. but it's different with a partner. Yeah. And becomes problematic when the non-ADHD partner starts to try to parent, you know, to try to control some of the symptoms, especially with someone who hasn't been. This is more for people who haven't been diagnosed yet or who are newly diagnosed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. To understand what part it's played 
you know, because I think that they're, the negative cycles that happen, you know, can be around symptoms. It's just symptom management. It's like the symptom, the reaction from the partner, then the reaction from, you know, to the partner's reaction mm. that gets you caught in the negative cycle. Right. And then you're looking at that person as being, you know, the intent and all that other stuff. And it can build resentment yep. and not so great things. So that's a good way of saying, you know, how does it play a role? How can you shift how you see, you know, see each other? Yeah. Um, so that's a good one. Um, I have so many, like, I follow some really good people on Instagram for ADHD. Okay. And right now I can't think off the top of my head. I'll have to, like, um, yeah, send, you can I'll send have to send you that after. stuff. But, yeah, um, that's for ADHD. And then for trauma in general, um the trauma, the body keeps the scores like the Bible of trauma. Okay, it's not easy to read. It's thick, um, but it's well worth the read if you yeah. really want to understand why you experience what you experience to make sense of your world. You know, as someone who survived trauma, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, it didn't start with you to understand. That's another book to understand okay. generational trauma. How trauma didn't start with you. Didn't start with your parents. It can't have. Yeah. So it's looking at generational trauma and how to see people as human beings and how we got to this place um, is another one that's okay. that's really pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think of other things, you know. And I think I was telling you earlier, um, you know, I've been working with and enjoying working with um, females on the autism spectrum. You know, what we call high functioning females on the autism spectrum because they're overlooked so much and because it's so difficult for them to find the diagnoses because the research just hasn't been there for females. It's been based on male presentation. Um, Spectrum women, uh, for anybody who is, um, because they're so often self-diagnosed first um, and and not caught until they're adults. Um, So if anybody's like thinking about possibly being on the spectrum and as a female yeah that's a good read it's phenomenal it's a it's a bunch of what um, was that one again spectrum women yeah spectrum women. and there's uh the woman who uh, wrote that uh, and took the experiences of 14 you know women on the on the spectrum and shared their experiences and really yeah so it's it's pretty great to hear how it presents so differently yeah you know, and all these different people experience, you know, autism differently. Mm-hmm. You know, they present differently. So it's not, autism isn't this one thing yep. any more than ADHD is this one thing. Right. Um, so finding, you know, that kind of, those kind of resources that help you not feel alone in the world. Yeah. That's that, again, that is powerful, you know, just to know that people have the same experiences that yeah. you, if not exactly the same, similar, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they can, they can find common Common things that have helped and common things that um, can can help you move forward from some of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I want to get to a couple fun questions and then we'll wrap up. Uh, these are I ask most of these to everybody, so I like to get kind of those similar, you know, questions, but get the different answers from all the providers. This is more going back to getting to know our providers. Okay. And so, uh, first first one is what occupation other than your own would you like to try? Um, or would you have had, uh, had you not gotten into this? So I think I know the answer, but tell, maybe I'm, maybe you have a different one. Um, if I had to do something else that I think would be, uh, would provide enough, 
dopamine hits for my brain. <laughs> <laughs> for the ADHD <laughs> the brain. It changes enough. Yeah. You know, something different all the yeah. time. You know, I like working with my hands. So okay. I think building houses or oh, building wow. and flipping houses probably would be something okay. that I would do if I, you know, had to go with something different um, and not in the same realm. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us, on, you know, that have ADHD, we do pretty well working with our hands. Yeah. Um, but that would be something that would always be changing something new, something creative all the time. Yeah. So okay, I think that cool. might be it. That's a very good, that's a good answer. I, I would not have, have thought about that as well, but <laughs> the, you know, the, being building with your hands, I'm sure that's why art art is a great thing. I mm-hmm. talked with Katie Irwin about art therapy and you know all the things that she's she's helping her clients with, and I think that's a that's a really constructive way to mm-hmm. to focus. So, um, okay, what would your last meal entail? You Butter. know, and this is <laughs> this this can be anything, and you don't have to oh. eat all of it. You could have like. You know, a couple of things. So just maybe some fav- some of your favorite foods that you would have at your last meal. Butter, butter, and more butter. Okay. So <laughs> like, you know, prime rib with crusties on the outside, medium okay. rare, lobster tails with butter, rolls with butter, <laughs> broccoli with butter, uh, charcuterie board. Wow. So high fat. Yeah. What, what are you drinking? <laughs> are you are you a wine person? Do you like any, do you like any sodas? Uh, are you, what are you drinking at the meal? Probably, you know, it's so funny because my family, you know, we don't drink a lot while we're eating. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's just how I grew up. Huh. So I don't think it would really matter. Okay. Go with you just, water, go with water. <laughs> because I usually don't drink when I'm eating. Maybe throw some lemon in there or something. <laughs> and uh, just. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very interesting. <laughs> um, if you were an ice cream flavor, what would you be? Everything but the kitchen sink. Okay. Uh, so, so what. It, Whatever, whatever like has like everything, know... like just anything and everything just thrown in there. Okay. Because I know Panera has a cookie that's everything but the kitchen sink. I didn't know that. And actually. it's like, they, you know, it has a, a certain stuff. It's like pretzel pieces and all that yeah. stuff. But okay. As well, long as it has a whole bunch of like everything. Okay. In it. you So you like the <laughs> chunks in there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Just a variety. Just yeah. a good variety. Keep it interesting. <laughs> Every bite's different. Um, and then, what are some of your favorite movies or TV shows? What do you What are you into? Maybe lately. Um, I just uh, finished his Dark Materials. I tend to veer toward, um, you know, sci-fi fantasy. Okay. It, you know, it helps. It's creative. It's imaginative. Something that sparks the imagination, where I can unplug and just suspend disbelief and and go there um i don't do rom-coms and stuff like Uh i'm not interested in that i want something that really sparks the imagination something that grabs again probably dopamine hit yep but i also love historical dramas okay you know and i think again that's the suspension of disbelief that's that's somewhere where your imagination has to create something new yeah you know that you don't have the um the scaffolding for or the frame of reference for okay so it forces you to your brain to get a little bit more creative to accept right. you know and to be in and immersed in those things what's maybe one or two yeah is there is there Dude, one i that love you like? masterpiece theater i'm pbs okay. masterpiece theater okay. for my historical dramas yeah uh-huh. i just finished up um scarlet and the duke okay you know that new episode um and what about the sci-fi too sci-fi you know like stranger things okay yeah uh, i love stranger things um Fifth Element is one of my favorite movies okay. as, well, as hard as okay, that is. Cool. Um, 
I can't say that I think Willow, the new series, is great. I think they could have done better. Okay. Um, but, you know, Marvel, um, just, yeah, uh, like I said, his Dark Materials, I just finished up. And I like, uh-huh. I loved that. Cool. So it's just a, it's a different world. It's a, yeah. Cool. Well, that is uh, really awesome. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for uh, taking taking some time to talk with us. Um, I know you have a busy schedule where you don't really have many slots, but if someone wants to get on the wait list or talk with you, just call, call, the, the, office. call the office and, and they can get in. I never in. know what I'm going to have. Honestly, I get in and I'm like, I don't know what I have today, but... We're rolling with whatever's on my schedule. And you love it, you know? <laughs> I do. <laughs> and you're getting it, and you're just like rolling Something with it. different every day. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, we'll see you next time. All right.